Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi, thanks for joining us today. We are continuing in our sermon series called Unstoppable as we've been traveling through the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, we've learned about the beginning of the church. We've gone through uh, the journeys of uh, Peter and Paul. Paul, on his third missionary journey, finally ends up in uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, and last week, last week our, our title of our message was Paul's Five Minutes Before the King. And we took the opportunity to illustrate how Paul's defense that he gave, which was actually his testimony before King Agrippa, was a great example for us on how to use our time wisely. Paul took the five minutes and gave a testimony, a testimony of how Jesus had impacted his life. And we said that actually this model testimony, uh, there's a couple of things we want to remember. The first thing is that you keep it short. Paul wanted to make sure that he had the attention of King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus and he needed to keep it short because he knew that ultimately they would start to object, their minds would start to wander and that's a good example for us on, on, on giving our testimony. And then we said that the testimony is actually broken up into three pieces. The first one is BC, before Christ. This is what I was like before I encountered Jesus Christ. Paul talks about his, his early life and how he was a Pharisee and how he had persecuted uh, the followers of the way, the Christians. And then Paul had this encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. Now for us, it likely wasn't an encounter that, that was, uh, was that notable, but for us it changed our life because we, we met the risen Lord. Uh, so that's our encounter. And then after we finish up our testimony was because of Christ, or what we call AD, AD. What happened after I met Jesus Christ? We keep it short. We have those three pieces to it. Uh, it was a great example. But so today we begin a, a brand new chapter. Uh, chapter 27 in the Acts of the Apostles. And this message is going to be a little bit different. For those of you that have been following our teaching um, at, uh, at, at Faith Dialogue, it's going to be a little bit different because uh, this message, uh, even from the title you'll understand, is called The Storms of Life. The Storms of Life. And, and it's going to be a little different because it's not going to be all that upbeat. Now, we always have room to, always have a reason to hope because, because of Jesus Christ and because of the promises in the Bible. But at the same time, we go through some very difficult times in life. And it's, it's inevitable. It happens to everybody. Now, personally, I think I've, if, if you've known me for any time, I've probably told you that I'm really not a real good counselor. Um, in order to, to get through seminary, I had to take a couple classes in counseling and pastoral counseling, uh, but, I, but I, don't, I don't prefer it. I, I like being a pastor, I like teaching. Um, and, and the reason is, is because in, in counseling, all the time, often uh, you're trying to fix people's problems, interpersonal problems, and I'm not real good at that. I, I don't play c communication games, for example. I, I don't do that. I don't encourage couples that come to me for marital counseling to, to fight fair or to be able to, to, uh, to let the other ones finish. And I, I just don't do that. I, I don't go that, that way. Um, I, in fact, I'm a lot like, if you remember the old Bob Newhart series uh, where he was a counselor, he did a little routine um, that, that basically as a counselor, what he would just say is just stop it. 
<laughs> Stop it. If you've got behavior that is causing some, uh, some other people to, to think that you're crazy, just, just stop it. So today we're discussing the storms of life. And the reason is, is because in chapter 27, which is our chapter we're talking about today, we begin Paul's final journey. Some people call it Paul's fourth missionary journey, but this time he's in stocks. His, 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 he's handcuffed. He's, he's going as a prisoner to Rome to appeal his, his, uh, uh, the, the claims and the charges against him to, to Caesar himself. The title of my message, as I said, is The Storms of Life. And we're going to see, that, particularly in our passage today, that these storms are often unpredictable, they're often severe, and very often, in fact, and most of the time, the outcome is not what we actually hope for. So let me read the beginning, the very first few verses of Acts 27, beginning in verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship at Adretium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonia, was with us, and the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lysa. There was a centurion, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sindus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. You know, we're going to discover soon why I chose this title. As I mentioned, today's message is called The Storms of Life. This chapter has just begun. Uh, we're, and, and at verse 4, we already see that as they, they, we already see that as they've been put to sea, the winds were contrary. This first portion of Paul's trip came, um, uh, verses 1 through 5, actually doesn't look too bad. Uh, like every journey, there are certain expectations, and Paul is wondering whether his expectations will be met. For Paul, God had told him that he would arrive in Rome. Back in Acts 23, uh, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, no doubt, it was this promise that Jesus himself had delivered to Paul that kept Paul somewhat positive and upbeat as he faced the angry Jewish mobs and found himself before uh, uh, Felix and then Festus and Agrippa and, and Bernice. He's an innocent man. Uh, he's unjustly accused, but now Paul was finally headed to Rome. So at the beginning of this journey, um, he, he should be encouraged. You know, at the end of his third missionary journey, he had arrived in Jerusalem. That's what he wanted to do. He had delivered money that he had intended to give to the Jerusalem saints that he had collected from some of his churches that he had planted. He had brought greetings to the saints in Jerusalem and the love from the Gentile churches. But, but then things got out of hand. And the, these Jewish, angry Jewish leaders attacked him and they accused him. And, and Paul ended up being in prison for the past two years. 
But Paul had very wisely appealed to, to Caesar. He had exercised a right that he had as a Roman citizen. And now he's on his way. At least the journey for which he has waited so long has begun. But let's take a brief look at some of the characters, some of the characters. As we do this, as we travel through the Acts of the Apostles, uh, we come across individuals. And it's always fun to find out who these individuals are and, and, and try to get to know them. First of all is Julius. He's a centurion, he's said to be of the Augustan regiment, who would be accompanying Paul and the other prisoners to Rome. Now this regiment is named for the then present um, Caesar, who's actually Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus. What a name, huh? Can you imagine signing that on your driver's license? Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus. Now this Caesar preferred the name Augustus as he had been named for the very first emperor of Rome, who was his great-grandfather, Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavian. Um, Nero, however, is nothing like, nothing like his great-grandfather. Uh, in fact, here's a, here's a picture of, of Nero as, as Rome is burning. Uh, the Roman emperor Nero is considered one of history's greatest criminals. His name has been synonymous with evil. And historical accounts accuse him of killing his stepbrother, his wife, and his mother, as well as, well as persecuting Christians. And again, uh, uh, instigating the great fire of Rome back in 68 or 62 AD. Uh, now, after a very turbulent 13-year reign, the Roman Senate ran out of patience and declared Nero a public nuisance, an enemy. Nero then fled, and, and in uh, 68 AD, shortly after he fled, he actually committed suicide. You know, and I tell you this, I tell you these stories uh, of Nero, and I, I want to contrast these leaders that we read about, not only Nero, but also Festus and Felix and Herod and Bernice, and I'm not going to go into to all, of, all of their problems and their issues, but they're contrasted in the scriptures by these centurions. Um, most of the centurions that are depicted in the Bible through the gospel accounts, as well as through the Acts of the Apostles, are being depicted as honorable and noble men. Now also we see that Dr. Luke, the author of this book, includes himself as he begins to writing. He says, we boarded a ship. The word we, meaning that Luke is with them. Uh, in addition to Luke, um, Aristarchus uh, joins Paul on the ship. And as you recall, uh, back in Acts 20, we met Aristarchus, who was, we described as a, a wealthy man. That's what the name means. And he was also with his friend named Primus, who we said was likely a slave. Now, there's a lot of speculation among scholars. You know, that's what scholars do. When the Bible is silent on something, they, they speculate. They fill pages and pages in the commentaries of our Bibles with, with pure speculation. But it's fun. I, I find that the, the speculation is sometimes entertaining. And the, and the speculation is, is that possibly Luke and Aristarchus pretended to be attendants or slaves of Paul. Uh, but many people, myself included, believe that Luke and Aristarchus probably paid their way as, as passengers. These were actually passenger ships. That's how people traveled throughout the Mediterranean, is they got on a ship. They paid the fare and they went from one destination to another. Uh, and it's also possible that Julius, the centurion, was well aware that Paul was a, a near celebrity. He was on board uh, along with his two companions and Julius was fully aware of that. 
Note that the centurion Julius, uh, the, the Bible says, treated Paul very kindly, gave him liberty uh, to go to his friends and allow his friends to, to attend to him as well. Uh, again, the honor and, and, uh, uh, of the Roman centurions is a common New Testament occurrence. So, as we get into the message today, notice Dr. Luke is telling us already that a, a storm is brewing. There's certain key words that he uses. Verse 4, for example, Luke says, We sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. If you're a sailing ship, having winds contrary to you is not going to give you any progress. Verse 7 says, We sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty. Later in verse 7 it says, the wind's not permitting us to proceed. And then finally in verse 8 it said, passing with great difficulty we came to a place called Fair Havens. Now I, I could show you on a map where all of these places were, but, but here's the thing, it doesn't matter because the storms of life happen everywhere and anywhere. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. It doesn't matter, it seems, what you're doing or where you're going. All of a sudden, you can find yourself in, in one of these, these storms of life. In fact, you don't even have to be wet, okay? Storms of life happen all the time. Now, this harbor town called Fair Haven, every time I, I read this scripture, I have to smile. It's the only time in the, in the, in the Bible that it's mentioned. Uh, it's just a harbor town. It actually means safe haven. But the church that my wife and I and our children, our young children, attended, that we were very active in, that I, that I, that I cut my teeth, actually cut my teeth in ministry, and, and learned to do some teaching and to be able to lead and to be encouraged, um, was a church in Dearborn Heights called Fair Haven Assembly of God. It was a, it was a great little church. I, I went on the internet today and I noticed the church is still there. It's still, they're still preaching the word of God. Um, I, I just love seeing that word because it brings such great memories back to us. Anyway, let's go on. We're going to go on uh, starting in verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of our cargo and ship but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter and the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Now, Dr. Luke also provides some amazing uh, uh, commentary. Um, these, uh, the saying sailing was now dangerous because the, the fast was over. Uh, now, that was, the fast that's talked about here, by the way, is the, day, uh, the Days of Atonement, also known as, as the great jo Jewish feast as Yom Kippur. The Feast of Yom Kippur, um, or Day of Atonement, uh, is said to afflict the soul, to atone for the sins of the past year. During the days of, of the, uh, this Jewish feast, Jewish tradition teaches that God inscribes all of our names in either the book of life or the book of death. Now, Paul is, is warning them to stay put, to, to wait out the season, to wait out actually the winter at Fairhaven, but they decide to, to push on. Now, how many of you know uh, that even if you haven't been on the seas much, how many of you know that the seas can be treacherous, the seas can be unforgiving? Maybe you remember these lyrics. I'll, I'd sing it to you, uh, but then you would ask me to leave. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitche Gumi. 
The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. November came early. No, that song by Gordon and Lightfoot was released in 1976. It was approximately released one year after that great ship, the Edmund Fitzgerald, went down in Lake Superior. Now, the, the ship was headed to, to Detroit, to a steel mill in Detroit, and it was get, getting near to Whitefish Bay, which is in the upper peninsula of Michigan. It would go through the, the Sioux Canal, um, the Sioux Locks uh, by Sault Ste. Marie and Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. Um, the, S the Edmund Fitzgerald was an American Great Lakes ore boat. It was a huge freighter and it sank in Lake Superior during a storm in November of 1975. It had the loss of all 29, said 29 souls were on board. Now the Edmund Fitzgerald was the largest ship uh, to have sunk in, in, uh, in, um, in Lake Superior. It was the largest ship at that time on Lake Superior. Um, the thing was is that people know the ship from the song, but the people in Michigan, the people along the Great Lakes, especially the shipping canals through Detroit and uh, St. Clair and Mackinac and Mackinac Straits and by Cleveland, um, the people along the shipping lanes where these ships would pass all knew the Edmunds Fitzgerald. It was a huge ship. It was a huge ship and it was a very popular ship. It's one of the few ships that I actually recognize the name of um, and when it sank it was, it, was, it was such a loss, such a loss. The captain of the ship would pipe uh, music, pop music, um, day and night as he traveled along because as he came close to the shore during the shipping lanes the people would gather on the shore they would see the ship go through there were times in Michigan when we were up in Mackinac Island where the shipping lane goes right past the island that we would be in bed and we could hear the rumble of the these diesel engines not for this ship uh, we weren't there until later but you could hear the diesel engines of these great ore ships and it would, it would startle you if you didn't know what was going on the whole house would shake because of the of these diesel engines um, now in November uh, the weather conditions in Lake Superior are are contrary they're de definitely treacherous ships in the area of the Edmunds Fitzgerald uh, when it sank reported uh, winds at 58 knots at 70 to 75 miles an hour and waves of 25 feet and the wind they said was contrary um, it, it took very little time for the ship to disappear uh, and ended up at the bottom of Lake Superior 540 feet down taking the captain and again all 29 souls um, and I tell this story because in the storms of life, uh, we don't often, well, sometimes we get a good, good result and sometimes not such a good result. Uh, so let's continue and we'll investigate again Paul's storm um, as he's boarded the ship headed for Rome. Verse 13, 
When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a Eurocodon. When the wind, when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the strice sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lighted the ship. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. You know, so we read earlier that the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than of the things spoken by Paul. Now, that was a bad decision. As a result, even though Paul was absolutely correct, they decided not to winter in Fairhaven, or safe harbor, as it should be called, but to head for a larger, more protected harbor near Crete. The description by Dr. Luke, according to scholars, is the most detailed ancient account of ancient seafaring. I call it the most detailed account of the storms of life. You see, just because you know better, just because you know the outcome, even before you begin, sometimes we are going to be in the middle of one of these uh, horrible storms of life. And they're all literally inevitable. And not every storm is the same. Some are, are over pretty quick, and some you turn out okay. You know, kind of like a thrill ride at one of our, our, um, our amusement parks, our theme parks here in Orlando. Maybe you're at Universal and you take one of the new, uh, new, th uh, new roller coaster rides, and, and you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> you're all strapped in, but you're sure you're going to die. But then it ends, and you say, you know, that wasn't so bad. But then there are storms of life like the one on the big lake they called Gichigumi, where the lake, it is said, never gives up her dead. Now, that was true for all 29 on the Edmund Fitzgerald, and it looks like it's going to be true also for the 200-plus people that are, that are with the Apostle Paul on this ship with the um, centurion named Julius. Did you hear how Dr. Luke described it? It says they used cables to secure the ship. They tossed everything they could overboard to lighten the ship. Uh, verse 19, it says, On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our, with our own hands. Now, tackle, the tackle is the last thing you want to get rid of on a ship. It's used to load and unload the ship. It's the, the rigging, the planks, and the boards to either to, to, to disembark. It's likely all of the necessary ropes and lines to help bring the sails up and down in order to fully navigate. They couldn't navigate. Uh, the scripture says that the, neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days. Uh, they couldn't see anything. It was pitch dark and they are being tossed around in the Mediterranean Sea. It, it certainly doesn't look good. You know, I find it interesting that Dr. Luke references that the fasting, the Feast of Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement, was over. The, uh, the, day, the, the time of the tribulation is often pictured as the final day of atonement where God atones for the sins of the human race. In the storms of life, like this storm that Paul is going to experience, we often individually feel like we are also are, are being judged by God. However, as a believer, 
there's, <laughs> you don't, we don't have to worry about the judgment of God. We have passed from judgment into to life. Uh, God is on our side. Uh, he has forgiven our sins. God's on the throne. He has a plan for you and he cares for you. We, we shouldn't let our circumstances, as dire as they are, determine your outcome. I want to call your attention to the very last verse of today's message, verse 20. It says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, meaning it was a huge storm, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, I, I told you this morning that all stories don't necessarily have a happy ending. Now, the Apostle Paul is headed to Rome, and the trip started off, off pretty good. Paul's companions, Luke and Aristarchus, were with him. That's a blessing. This is a prison ship. And even though there's prisoners, there's no, there's no Jews attacking Paul anymore. The centurion of the Augustan uh, cohort named Julius is treating Paul kindly. And while there are some difficulties, they arrive in a place called Fair Haven, a safe harbor. Paul tells them to go no further, stay in safe harbor. But of course, what do they do? They decide to, to, to press on. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, have things started off okay, but all of a sudden they just get, they just get ugly? You know, maybe the, maybe the doctor has told you, well, I've got some good news for you, but I've also got some bad news. Or possibly you're home late at night and the telephone rings, and it's a, a call from somebody in the family, and you're immediately overjoyed because you're getting to talk to a, to a loved one, but there's a reason they called you. Uh, they have some bad news that they have to share with you. Now, the thing is, is that with Paul, things got ugly pretty quickly. The wind was against them. Um, uh, Paul had been wise. He told them what to do, but they decided to, to, uh, to, to press on anyway. It says the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner than he did to Paul. And it said that the wind pressed against the ship. They tossed everything they could overboard, but that still was not enough. And then at the end, there's no sunlight, no moonlight. They're just being tossed around. They've taken everything off, and it seemed like all hope of us being saved was abandoned. But here's the thing. The story is over, but the journey still continues. I want you to remember that. Even though the story is over, even though the storm is over, even though it doesn't look very good, the journey continues. Paul was told he was going to Rome, and he's not there yet. Now, I'm intentionally ending this message today on verse 20, where all hope appears lost. lost. And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm ending it there is because so often uh, we need to understand that we can learn from stories like this, even stories of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And here's the thing. It's not what I go through that determines where I end up. And that's true temporally, meaning here on earth, as well as eternally. Uh, for example, just take a look at some examples. Um, all of you understand job loss. Many of you have, uh, have discovered job loss. But if you have ever discovered this, that everybody that loses their job, not everybody goes broke. Many of you understand what it means to, be, to have betrayal, either by a friend, a, a relative, a colleague, a neighbor. But just because you're betrayed doesn't mean you have to be bitter. Many of us have understood violence. Maybe, maybe of, so many of us have been the victims of, of violence, a crime, a personal attack. But even though you experience violence, doesn't mean that you're, you're broken. Some of us have, have uh, discovered what it means uh, to have unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness in a marriage from a spouse. It's, 
that's heartbreaking. But have you ever noticed that there are many that undergo unfaithfulness, but many are not divorced? Also, the whole idea of what we're talking about is a lot of disappointment. You know, people can disappoint you, and sometimes you can believe that God can disappoint you too. But you ever notice that people can be disappointed but still not be angry, still not lose their faith in God? And that's why we say it's not what I go through that determines where I end up. Now, we're going to pick up this story again next week. We'll find that Paul and the prisoners and his colleagues and the Roman guards, you know, they're all ultimately saved. They're all, that's, a little, that's a little teaser for next week. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul speaks of, of difficult times. In, in, uh, in chapter 6, he tells us to be strong in the Lord. Um, and when it looks like all hope is lost, we need to rely on the Lord and the power of his might. Now, that's the, that's the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, had a similar word from the Lord. And this is what he said. This is Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know, my friends, many of us have gone through some of the storms of life. And I have no doubt at all that some of you presently are going through a, a significant storm. But here's the thing. The Lord is the everlasting God. He, he doesn't grow tired. He never grows weary. And He will give you the strength you need when you need it. Hope in the Lord. Soar on wings like eagles. You will not faint. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank You, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.